Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Canadian Antimicrobial Innovation Coalition's AMR Action Podcast. My name is Danny Peters, and I'm a senior advisor to the Canadian Antimicrobial Innovation Coalition. We've been very excited by the response to our first set of podcasts, which focus on the challenges and opportunities associated with access to new or newer antimicrobials in Canada. Thanks to all those who tuned in and shared with your network. I am thrilled to have our next guest here today to discuss additional topics that are relevant to AMR in Canada, namely stewardship, surveillance, and the use of diagnostic technologies. Dr. Larissa Matukas is an assistant associate professor in the Department of Laboratory Medicine and Pathobiology at the University of Toronto, head of the Division of Microbiology and an Infectious Disease Consultant at St. Michael's Hospital Unity Health Toronto. Her specific areas of research and expertise are very relevant to our topics discussed today and to CAKE. Microbiology, quality improvement, rapid diagnostics, particularly for blood cultures, and utilization and stewardship and antimicrobial resistance. She's been sought out as an expert to contribute to guidelines on implementing quality management system in microbiology, best practices in vascular access, and choosing wisely Canada for microbiology. Thank you so much, Dr. Matukas, for being here today. My pleasure. So Dr. Matukas, I noticed a statistic yesterday that kind of took my breath away. Now this is US data, but according to the CDC, approximately 650 million COVID-19 test results have been reported to date. So undoubtedly public knowledge and understanding of testing has evolved significantly over the past couple of years. And for those of us working in the area of AMR, we ask, does this apply? So what are the lessons learned from COVID-19 and how can we apply them to AMR? And specifically, I'm thinking about the roles of government, frontline health professionals, hospitals, and public in our response to public health challenges and ways they might be relevant to AMR. Wanted to get your thoughts on this. Yeah, great question. You know, I, I, I do agree with you. It's been an incredible ride during this pandemic to really deliver the messaging around how laboratories and diagnostics are so critical in the in, it, as, as, a, as a major factor in, in our response to the pandemic. And, um, you know, prior to the prior to the pandemic, there was this really big push to implement uh, big technology, like big equipment, um, high throughput equipment, all these platforms that would help to uh, do higher volumes of testing in laboratories. But in order to actually acquire that type of equipment, it meant that it needed to be in centralized labs. So that was part of a push to try to consolidate labs into a single location to take advantage of these um, technologies. And, and they were starting to be developed because we also have an aging population within our lab professional technical staff, which made it very difficult to maintain a distributive model of lab resources uh, where there are multiple labs, um, particularly in Canada and even in the States, um, where you have uh, a lack of human resources to continue with that level of competency in order to keep up with the changing epidemiology of you know, multi-drug resistant organisms that we are seeing or new emerging viruses like COVID. And so there was this, uh, I would say global push and not just, you know, within North America, but even within Europe to really centralize laboratory testing into big sort of mega labs. But unfortunately this was at the expense of one, losing out on all of those lab professionals and not actually 
um, training more individuals and building up our human resource capacity in this field. Uh, but also it meant that there was a lack of investment in how to overcome um, the unintended consequences of a consolidated lab system. And what has become very clear, even as we did the same thing for COVID, is that our centralized labs are far away from all of these remote areas that actually need access to testing. And so there, was a, uh, there wasn't an, uh, an infrastructure for the transportation of specimens uh, from these remote or rural areas to the centralized locations or the centralized labs. Um, and that, unfortunately, can have a huge impact on the timing of getting results back to act on them in a timely manner. Um, and it also may actually impact the integrity of the specimen to such an extent that you may actually lose the ability to detect the pathogen or the organisms that you're trying to identify. And this is really quite relevant, not just for COVID as we've seen, but even for our bacterial infections that we're looking at and specifically for antimicrobial um, resistance detection. So if you have a specimen that is delayed in transit and it gets to the lab, by the time it gets there, if there was a multidrug resistant organism present in that specimen, it may have died by the time it got mm -hmm. to the lab and there's no way for us to recover it, to identify it. Mm -hmm. The delay also contributes to clinicians then having to act and treat patients without having the targeted information that they're looking for. And so it results in maybe more broader or more empiric antimicrobial use as opposed to targeted antimicrobial use for shorter durations of time. So again, really might be factors that are contributing to our emergence of multidrug resistant organisms. One of the other factors, as I said, as trying to consolidate these labs was budget, right? It really boils down to money and how are we going to use our resources appropriately to really get value out of what we need to maintain a healthcare system that can deliver you know, results in a timely manner. Mm -hmm. And they're in Ontario. So if I bring it more locally, because I'm much more familiar with this paradigm, in Ontario, there are at least three different streams of funding for laboratory services. One is in the community for the private labs that really service the vast majority of community testing. Second are acute care hospital um, laboratories, which are funded through hospital global budgets. And then thirdly, there is the Public Health Ontario Laboratories, which again has a separate stream of funding as well. Mm -hmm. One of the difficulties is that when your budget for laboratories is tied into a hospital's global budget, it becomes very difficult to get dedicated funds to support laboratory practices to include innovations and to, um, uh, um, and to expand laboratory testing as needed in a timely manner. And you can imagine that as strains on the healthcare system continue to rise, the mm -hmm. push will always be to help make sure that we have enough clinicians in order to manage the patients walking through the door. Mm -hmm. um, and so it becomes even more difficult to dedicate and direct funds to laboratory uh, services in order to even meet those clinical needs. The need is going to always be treat the patient in front of you immediately, and the funds will be there for that. Um, so that lack of funding into laboratory medicine has really stifled us in a lot of ways to be able to keep up with the technologies and innovations to actually deliver faster, more reliable results. Um, and, and we need those faster, more reliable results in order to act um, in a timely manner in order to address um, multidrug resistant organisms. 
one of the other things that I think I wanted to highlight as a third point um, is around standardization of reporting practices. Um, and that was very clear with, with COVID. So in Ontario, when we created a distributive model as opposed to a centralized model for testing of, um, of, of co for COVID, um, it meant that all of the labs that were participating as a network for COVID testing, um, we all needed to report the results in exactly the same manner. And it was really important for two reasons. One, we needed to be able to share that information across the you know, IT technology and applications that existed so that anywhere you were in the province, whether you were in Brantford or whether you were um, you know, in, in Temiskaming or if you were in Ottawa or Nepean or in London, Ontario, everybody could see the result exactly the same way and understand and interpret that result exactly the same way. Thus is not true for other microbiology reporting practices. There really is no specific guidance. There are some general recommendations and every lab interprets those general recommendations on how to report antimicrobial susceptibility testing results in a different way. And so there is a great variety in the way antibiotic results are reported in microbiology reports across the province, across the nation, and probably across the globe. And this then may actually contribute to you know, uh, interpreting results in a different way and not necessarily choosing the most targeted or most preferred therapy in order to combat or to reduce the possibility of the emergence of resistance in, in, in the organisms. Wow, so much to unpack there. That is so fascinating. Um, I actually have a quick follow-up question then about the funding and, and decentralize the, the value of sort of a decentralized approach and maybe a, even a hub and, hub and spoke approach. From a funding perspective, would, would the funding then be balanced on community and, and hospital in order to allow for that um, to happen? Yeah, it's a great question. You know, I, I'm not sure that we have a, um, a cr the crystal ball that's going to tell us exactly what the best funding model is. I think at the end of the day, what you do need to have though is some dedicated funds or a stream of funds to specifically be available um, for laboratory testing so that in these situations when there is a public health threat, there mm -hmm. is the ability to scale up immediately and as quickly as possible. So it's not just the funding, but it's the resources and the infrastructure that are, are required around it. And, and so if you, if you don't have dedicated streams of funding for this, you won't be able to get that immediate response or whatever, how quickly that response needs to be in order to combat the, the next emerging, emerging pathogen or the next emerging resistant organism. Yeah, fascinating. And we, we've seen similar challenges with global hospital budgets and access to newer, newer antimicrobials that the idea is that if there is a dedicated source of funding that, that might enable um, access under appropriate use that that might be a potential um, way to look at a solution. Um, so I want to, um, and I'm going to build upon the standards topic, but I, I know that we, sometimes when, when we talk about AMR, it, it can, it can, especially, it seems so daunting. There's so many things that, that can be focused on. It just seems like such a big problem. Um, but I also find that in order to move forward, it's also good to look back and see how far we've come. Um, taking into account activities that are happening in the province of Ontario right now, are, are there any activities that you're working on that should give us hope 
Um, are there any opportunities that people aren't talking about that maybe can be seen as stepping stones to some building to something broader that, that can be adopted across the, the province and even across the country? Yeah, so I think that there are, there are several initiatives that are happening across the province at both on a provincial level and then even in local experts that are really pushing to um, get their innovations out there and shared with, with the world, not just, you know, with Ontarians. And, you know, I'll comment on a couple of things because I, I collaborate with a wide variety of individuals and I'll highlight some of the some of the aspects that, you know, on a provincial level, and then what I personally am working on, which I think is, is quite relevant to the discussion today. So on a provincial level, there has been, you know, an investment in individuals who have expertise in uh, stewardship. And there are pharmacists that are working at Public Health Ontario that are specifically looking to address and to monitor antimicrobial resistance. I think one of the one of the one of the one of the initiatives that they've produced recently and um, was um, provincial antibiograms or provincial uh, cumulative susceptibility testing data, and I found this absolutely fascinating because it has never been done to date. And what it allows us to do is to look across the province to look for emerging trends in antimicrobial resistance. And I think that that becomes really relevant when you're trying to treat your patient and you wanna know what the epidemiology is locally and what you might be able to choose as empiric therapy, given what you know is happening in your region. So I think surveillance is actually doing, um, it's actually going quite well in Ontario. And whilst there's always room for improvement and other opportunities, um, I think this is a really good step in the right direction to really share that uh, provincial data on, on a wide scale. You know, working um, um, so on, on a personal level, one of the areas of my personal interest is to really help clinicians in the acute care setting to identify and to choose the preferred antimicrobial to treat a particular infection. And I'm working with a group of uh, um, individuals who are experts in their own right and have and are highly esteemed um, with respect to in, in a variety of, of, of disciplines. So um, my work includes working with, you know, of course, infectious disease specialists, but pharmacists who have an interest in stewardship and infectious diseases. We're working with behavioral scientists to help us identify how to nudge individuals to choose the right antibiotic, or to not necessarily the right antibiotic, but the most preferred antibiotic for an infection. And we're doing this through laboratory reporting. So we are actually changing the choice architecture of laboratory reports in order to nudge clinicians to choose a more appropriate antibiotic for the organism that was isolated without, without diminishing their autonomy in choosing um, the, the antibiotic that they want for their patient. And, and so we're, we're actively looking at um, seeing which of these nudging strategies or which way do we display the antibiotics will give us the biggest bang for our buck to help clinicians choose the preferred antibiotic uh, for a given infection. Um, and so um, it, it's amazing to really bring together those teams of, um, of really different disciplines in order to come up with a solution to this problem, which I think is really critical. And I think that we're beginning to learn that more and more, which has also been demonstrated through COVID as well, right? So we're having engineers and we're having infection control practitioners and we're having epidemiologists and we're having all sorts of other virologists and microbiologists 
to really participate in the discussion and finding solutions um, to these public health crises. That's fantastic. Something that we raised in one of our earlier podcasts is that one of the barriers associated with addressing solutions to AMR is that sometimes the issue can be so siloed. Um, So this is just a real life example about building a multidisciplinary team and how that can really uh, propel um, these solutions and that ultimately are to the benefit of of Canadian Ontarian patients. Um, So that's a fantastic example. So I want to talk about diagnostics. So I gave the earlier example about how much testing that we've been doing uh, with COVID-19. We, we, you know, now everybody understands the the role and the value of diagnostics. We have an exciting uh, pipeline innovation. And as I said, the public is more accustomed to to taking rapid tests in particular. So so what are the opportunities moving forward now that we have this experience with with testing COVID-19? How could this be applied um, to AMR? You know, there are a multitude of innovations in the pipeline that really we should really be trying to take advantage of all of them and really identifying where they best suited in order to get the biggest bang for our buck. Right. This is all value based, you know, um, introduction of new technologies. Um, But this paradigm shift and I completely agree, like the way forward is to have faster, more reliable, actionable test results at your fingertips and in the moment when you're treating the patient in order to make those real-time decisions. But with the paradigm shift in those diagnostics and those technologies, there needs to be a parallel diagnosis, or there needs to be a parallel um, paradigm shift in the way we deliver care too. Mm-hmm. And what that means is when you put um, testing into the hands of individuals at the bedside, like literally at the bedside of the patient, what needs to transfer with it, it is all the quality assurance um, that comes with laboratory testing, as well as the biosafety and safety features in order to ensure that you continue to have those reliable, accurate um, results that are actionable. And it also means that clinicians need to know what to do with that result when they get it. And we're kind of stuck in between, you know, still maintaining a lot of testing within the walls of the laboratory and pushing a few things out to the front line or doing things a little bit faster, but we're not necessarily seeing the correlation of clinicians responding to those results in a timely manner. We still have these archaic IT solutions where we passively report results into this, you know, nebulous, you know, electronic medical record, and it still requires the clinician to actively go and look for that result. So we haven't quite figured out the piece of how do we get that result into the hands of the clinician in the moment that they actually need it in order to act on it, to provide, you know, a, you know, to change the treatment. So one of the things that I, you know, you, we, we discussed and one of my other areas of interest is around uh, blood cultures. Blood cultures are one of the most critical in um, specimens that we receive in microbiology, right? This, mm-hmm. these, these tests are ordered in order to identify individuals with sepsis, which is a potentially fatal disease. Mm-hmm. Um, we want to get those results. Uh, what bacteria or what pathogen is causing, you know, sepsis in this particular individual? And we want to use targeted antibiotics as quickly as possible. Well, blood cultures are actually one of those things that at least at Unity Health, we actually ensure that we are managing those specimens, processing them, working them up 24, seven hours a day Mm -hmm. so that we can get results into clinicians' hands as soon as possible. 
But that means that those results could be coming out at two or three o'clock in the morning. And is there a clinician at the end of the line, you know, at three o'clock in the morning who will feel comfortable enough to act on that result, particularly when you have clinicians there uh, who are really covering for their colleagues. We don't have the same human resource complement through the night. Mm-hmm. Um, and, 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 you know, it, it becomes a very difficult decision to change a therapy for a patient that you may not know as deeply as the primary physician who's going to start at seven or eight o'clock in the morning. Mm-hmm. And so even that small window is an opportunity to take advantage of like, how do we ensure that we can actually be that those actionable results are actually, you know, managed and, 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 and actioned on at the time that they are available. And that has a huge impact on antimicrobial stewardship because it means that we can change therapy and target therapy sooner and faster if we actually introduce these innovative technologies to get these accurate, fast results at any time of the day. Wow, that really captures it. It's, it's, you know, it's really about, you know, we have these innovations, the system has to be ready to take them to be optimized to actually be able to utilize this technology. I'm excited to report we will have a, a patient survivor of sepsis who was saved by antibiotics on a future podcast. And we're always, um, it's always important to raise awareness about sepsis and the importance of, of testing uh, to provide the right antimicrobial therapies. So thank you for raising um, that example. Um, so I'm going to end with a final uh, question, which is that if you had a magic wand and you could create the perfect lab program to combat AMR in Ontario, what would that lab program work? Uh, what would that lab program look like? And if you could have also any tools to work with within that lab program, which tools would you use? And these could be tools that are maybe currently available, but but um, not available maybe in Ontario. Um, it could be tools that are in development or tools that don't exist at all. So if you had this magic wand, what would you create? Wow, I mean, that's just my dream, right? That's what I dream about every day. And that's what I work towards every day. Um, so, so I think I've alluded to a lot of that during our conversation today. And so I'll just really highlight some of those things, right? So um, as I've said before, like, We really want to get results into the hands of clinicians as quickly as possible in order for them to be actioned on. And that does mean a distributive model to an extent where it actually might mean what we call like these rapid tests or these point of care tests, right? So a distributive lab model, not only do you need the expertise where you can sort of, you still need to have some expertise to oversee it to make sure that those rapid and reliable tests are being used appropriately, Um, but you want it to be actionable in the hands of the clinician who's going to use that information. I I work and speak from a paradigm of working in a healthcare, acute care facility, Mm -hmm. uh, where the, the need for speed is probably that much greater than in other, um, areas of the healthcare system. But I think that it is equally important to have the same kind of innovations that are introduced, not just in the acute care setting, which is really where a small proportion of antibiotics are used and really start creating innovations that will allow to reach the community and the whole continuum of healthcare. So that at regardless whether you're in your uh, primary care clinician's office or you're residing in a long-term care home or you're in a rehab facility or you're in an acute care hospital, that you have access to the same type of fast, reliable results in order to target your therapy as quickly as possible. And when I talk about tailoring therapy, it's not just based on 
sort of what you think the best thing is at this moment, but really tailoring it to that given individual. There is a great opportunity as we move towards electronic medical records to look through the patient's history, to use artificial intelligence, big data, machine learning. And I use these as sort of very generalized terms to to really take advantage of the information that already exists and pair that with the new information that comes from the testing laboratory to marry that information together and then come up with a very specific personalized program and therapy and management program for that particular individual. And in the context of AMR, it is what antibiotic are you going to use for this particular individual? Not just because it's the right antibiotic for that infection, because it's the right antibiotic for that patient. And it means what are their allergies? What are their other drugs that they're on to avoid drug interactions? What are their preferences? Are there other, like how is the antibiotic going to be delivered? Can they receive uh, an an intravenous medication versus an oral medication? All of those things should be able to be personalized and tailored to the specific and individual as opposed to you know, still just using this is the right antibiotic for this population of patients is really boiling it down to the individual. Some of the other technologies that are just starting to sort of creep into our world, which I would really like to see take off, are using uh, genomics and proteomics. Mm -hmm. So really pushing molecular diagnostics and sequencing in order not just for um, pathogen discovery, discovery, so new pathogen discovery to identify pathogens we're not currently able to culture, uh, but then also to detect um, uh, resistance patterns of resistance? Are are there things that we're missing that we're not picking up phenotypically with our current methodologies? And and proteomics is actually looking at the proteins um, and looking at amino acids and, you know, what is the organism actually producing? Can you actually find the enzymes that are breaking down antibiotics? Can you identify them sooner by using proteomics and mass spectrometry, um, as opposed to waiting for those phenotypic typical traditional gold standard uh, testing modalities. So there's all sorts of, you know, great opportunities for us to take advantage of these uh, technologies that exist. And, you know, one of the things, you know, when you talk about sequencing, you know, you're talking about, you know, people who might be uh, working in genetics that can cross over to work in microbiology. And we talk about proteomics and mass spectrometry. This is working with our biochemists to really understand the technology and apply it to microbiology. So again, that multidisciplinary approach in trying to really take advantage of technologies that we may never have thought of ever being used in microbiology um, and now applying them. So I think that we're, we're well on our way, but we've got lots of opportunities to really make this a, a much more targeted and innovative way to, to address AMR and, and patient care. That's fantastic. It's a great way to end that this is really what's what's possible and and making this enabling technology to uh, make this patient centered. The end of the day, um, this is what it's about the patient and optimal care for the patient. So um, really, really appreciate your inspiring words and and how technology can really uh, serve as a a solution. Uh, But the systems have to be ready to, um, to accept and work with that technology. Um, it's really been a pleasure to have you here with us today. I've learned a lot and I know that our listeners and the broader public will learn a lot about uh, what you share with us today. Um, so thanks to all those who are listening and um, see you uh, next time. Stay safe. Thank you so much. Thanks so much.